Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Lord, as we come and we open your word, we ask that you would come and open our hearts and our minds, that we might hear from you, that we might understand that which you would speak to us, Lord, but also that you would change our hearts, that this would be a meaningful time in your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that every one of us that have come in this morning would hear from you. We're not here just to play church something to do on a Sunday morning or just to make ourselves just feel better or religious activity. We're here to meet with you. We long for you to speak to us. That is most important to us this morning, Lord. You know every single one of us, where our hearts are, where we've been, every detail of our life. Lord, now speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing on our series on the life and times of Jesus. And today what we're talking about is we're talking about honestly looking at the evidence that God has given us for truth. Honestly looking at the fact that Jesus is who Scripture says that He is. And understanding that God did not call us to believe by blind faith. Now, faith is required, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but God also gave an enormous amount of evidence that we would know that what we have in Scripture and what we have in Jesus is truth. Because sometimes, as you guys already know, and it's going to happen in our text today here in John chapter 10, sometimes people prior to hearing the word, prior to to seeing the evidence, they just go ahead and already make up their mind. They've already got a preconceived idea in their mind of what God is or isn't allowed to be like. And if he doesn't fit into that box, then we're not going to believe in him without even hearing the word, without even looking at the evidence. That's going to be the case here in our text this morning. I was recently, like two weeks ago, I saw this show, it was a documentary on this gentleman that was investigating religion in America. And he was claiming that he didn't know. He didn't know what the truth was. He he said of himself that he was an agnostic, but he wanted to find out. And that was the the premise behind the show. So he was going to go around and visit different religious organizations in an effort to try and figure out what the truth was. Is And he visited different groups. He went to, uh, hung out with Mormons. He hung out with Muslims. He hung out with different groups of people and went to their activities, went to their services and so forth. And he did eventually visit an evangelical Bible teaching church. Good Bible teaching church from what I heard within the show. And the pastor was on that particular time teaching about and against a certain sin that the Bible also speaks against. The guy was preaching the Bible. He was legitimately preaching the Bible. But when the guy that was doing the investigation and and putting out this little documentary left, and, and of course the camera's with him and he's talking about the experience, 
He said, because I know people that live the specific lifestyle, I have friends and family that live the specific lifestyle that this pastor and that the Bible speaks against. He says, there's no way I can believe that. Because the Bible goes this direction, he says, I can't, I can't believe that. So what he had done is he had already made up his mind, right? Before he even walked through the door. He himself set the criteria for what he would believe would be true. And so this guy entered the situation and this documentary with a presupposition of what God was allowed to be like in his own mind. He'd already made up his mind what God was allowed to be like. And so if God didn't fit into his idea of what God should do or what God can do, then he wouldn't believe. Now, that's not a pursuit of truth, is it? In any way, shape, or form. That's actually fashioning God into your image as opposed to having him fashion you into his. That at that point is making ourselves out to be the standard of what is right and wrong and acceptable and not God or his word. And that happens, doesn't it? We know people that do that. Maybe somebody's come this morning and that's your deal. You're deciding what God is allowed to be like. And we see that around our world today. People decide what God is allowed to be like based on what they want him to be like. And based on the way they want to live their life. I want to live this way so God has to fit into this particular box. Regardless of the fact that Jesus is truth. Regardless of the fact that the scripture is God's word. And regardless of the fact that much evidence has been given to those things. They've decided that they'll set the parameters of who God can be. Jesus is dealing with that. The whole reason I give you that intro is that Jesus is dealing with that today in our text. Men who are going to be rejecting him as the Messiah because they don't think he is who they think he ought to be or he's not doing the things that they think he should do. So they're rejecting him based on the fact that he doesn't fit into their box, even though he's giving them all the evidence for the fact that he is the Messiah. And Jesus said of such people in John chapter 13, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 13, 13, he said this, while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. What he was saying there is, they're seeing the things, and that's what's going to happen in our text. The guys in our text are seeing what Jesus is doing, but they're not seeing, not spiritually seeing, not with their heart, not, not open and objective to truth. They're hearing the truth from Jesus, but they're not really hearing, not spiritually open to these things. So let's read through the text. We're going to begin in John chapter 10, verse 22. Now, this morning I have chose to read from the New Living Translation. And the reason I did that, I usually use the New American Standard. But the reason that I did that this morning is there's kind of a little tricky section in here. And the New Living Translation explains it a little better. So you'll see what I mean in just a second. Verse 22, John 10, 22. And it was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah for the Feast of Dedication. And he was in the temple, walking through a section known as Solomon's Colonnade, 
or the porticles of Solomon, some translations say. And the people surrounded him and asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you and you didn't believe me. The proof is, this is important to us, the proof is the work that I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. And my Father who has given them to me is more powerful than anyone else and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, At my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied. And this is the kind of tricky section that I was alluding to earlier. Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods. And you know that the scripture cannot be altered. So if these people, and this is the key to it, whom received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I'm the son of God? After all, the father set me apart or consecrated me and sent me into the world. Don't believe unless I carry out my father's works. But if you do his but if I do his works, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. All right, beginning in verse 22, what we see is we have a reference for time. It says there that it is now winter and Jesus is in Jerusalem. It is the time of the Feast of Dedication, which is the festival that we know of as Hanukkah. Uh, falls right around our Christmas time. And this gives us a reference now for Jesus in time. It tells us that it's winter and this particular festival, Hanukkah, falls roughly three months before the Passover. So what that tells us is we're now three months before the cross. Now, Hanukkah was not one of the prescribed feasts within the Bible. It wasn't one that God said you need to Um, observe this particular feast. There's seven of those feasts that appear in the Bible that the Jewish people had to celebrate every single year and three of them that they had to go to Jerusalem for. Hanukkah was not one of them, yet the events that led to Hanukkah were described in the book of Daniel. Then we see in verse 23, it says that he was in the temple walking through this section known as Solomon's Colonnade or the Porticles of Solomon. It's the area on the southern end of the Temple Mount. We've got a picture right there. So the, the kind of the area closest to you, see that long barn looking section? That was Solomon's um, colonnade in there. So he was in there and teaching and preaching the word and cruising in the temple at the time. And then in verse 24, he gets surrounded. People come and ask him, how long 
are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, he says, tell us plainly. So they're accusing Jesus here of being obscure and vague about who he is, even though he's told them quite frequently that he is the Messiah. And in fact, this is the third time that they have taken up stones to stone him for claiming to be the Messiah, yet they say, you're not telling us clearly enough. And I think in light of verse 31, because they instantly pick up stones to stone Jesus, I think what they're doing is they're trying to kind of bait him into blaspheming so they're justified in attacking him because they say, hey, listen, tell us who you are. And he goes, all right, I'll tell you who I am. And as soon as he does, they grab stones instantly. So I think they're trying to kind of bait him into this thing a bit, which tells us something about them that they've already made up their mind. They're not really asking, hey, show us, tell us who you are because we want to follow you as truth if you're truth. They say, tell us who you are so that we can chuck stones at you. They've already made up their mind. Verse 25, Jesus replies, I already told you and you did not believe me. The proof is the work in my Father's name. So Jesus says, I already told you guys, you guys are not listening, which he had. But the very key passage for us now is this. Jesus tells them to look at the evidence. The proof is the work that he's doing in the Father's name. And then Jesus points out the dullness or the condition and the spiritual dullness of these guys' heart in verse 26 and 27. He says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. And then this is the key to it. My sheep listen to my voice and then they follow me. The key is that they listen to my voice. The hardness of the heart of these particular people that Jesus is being confronted by, the hardness of their heart refuses to listen to Jesus in a true humble, objective way. They're not there for truth. They've already made up their mind. Because of the prideful condition of their heart, they're rejecting Jesus regardless of the evidence. They don't listen, therefore they don't believe, therefore they don't follow. These guys then fall again under what Jesus said, don't they, under Matthew chapter 13, 13, where it says, while seeing you don't see. While hearing, you don't hear, and you don't understand. Then in verses 28 and 29, Jesus lays down both the benefit of following him and conversely the consequence of rejecting them. Because he says, my sheep listen to my voice. But he's already said, you're not my sheep. So he says, my sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me in what? And I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. And my father who's greater than me, they'll never snatch them from his hand as well. And so what he's saying there is by rejecting Jesus, you're turning away from eternal life and eternal security. Now this is important because it answers a very popular question of the skeptic. Oftentimes, I'm sure many of you have heard, how can a God of love send anyone to hell? Anybody ever heard that? I've heard it a lot of times. Listen, the Bible says that 
God is love. And if he's love, how could he send anyone to hell? And the answer is right here. He doesn't. They choose not listening and not following. You see, oftentimes people have a misunderstanding of what hell is. Hell is a confirmation of an individual's choice, right? You spent your whole life saying, I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want God. And at the end of it, what does God do? He says, okay, I will then confirm that choice for you. And hell, though we have many pictures of it and the the darkness and gnashing of teeth and the fire and all those things are true, The real tragedy of hell is it's a place devoid of God and all goodness because all goodness comes from God. And so it's saying, I've chosen, I've chosen, I've chosen to reject God. And at the end of your life, God says, I will then confirm that choice for you. That's what he's talking about here. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. These guys are turning away, even in light of the evidence. Then in verse 30, the people get what they asked for, Jesus' answer. They ask him in verse 24, they say, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And then in verse 30, he says, the Father and I are one. Now, when it says the Father and I are one, it doesn't mean that we're the same person, but it means exact nature and exact essence. That's the definition of the Trinity, One God, one nature, one essence existing in three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews right off the bat touches on this. And it says there, He, Jesus, is the radiance of His glory, of the Father's glory, and the exact representation of His nature. New King James says, The express image of the Father. The ESV says, and I like this one, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus explained this to Philip after his resurrection when Philip came and he says, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, how long have you been with me? And you come to me, Philip, and say, show me the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. The exact representation, the exact imprint, nature, character, and essence of the Father. Now, did Jesus' challengers at this point, did they understand what Jesus was saying? Absolutely. Look at verse 31. Look exactly what they said. And once again, they picked up stones, now for the third time, to kill him. And Jesus poses a question to them. Okay, at my Father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one of these good works are you going to throw stones at me? And they replied, we're not throwing stones at you for good works, but for blasphemy. And then what do they say? You, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew exactly what he was saying. Anybody that ever tells you that Jesus was vague and was not at any point claiming to be God does not know the Scripture. He says it very explicitly, and the people there knew exactly what he was saying. Now, this brings up an important point that we need to address, because 
There are a lot of people that will accept Jesus on a lesser level, right? Nobody that has any grasp at all of history denies that Jesus lived and walked the earth. I mean, you won't even find a historian that will do that with all of the evidence for that. But there are those that will accept him on a lesser level. And they'll often say things like, well, he was a good religious leader, or he was a religious man, or a moral teacher, or many of the cults will say he was a prophet, but, but not God. Don't miss this, guys. Jesus' claim to be God in the flesh. That was their problem with him. The problem with these guys, the reason they just picked up stones is because, and they said it, you a mere man claim to be God. So the idea of Jesus just as a good moral teacher does not work at any point. There is something uh, that C.S. Lewis popularized this argument and it later became called as uh, Lewis's Trilemma. And Lewis's Trilemma was this. It was in, in the book Mere Christianity. And he said that Jesus was one of three things. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. You get no other option. He was either mad, bad, or God. One of those. And the reason that he argues from this point is he says, look at the claims of Christ. Because of the radical claims of Christ, the things that he said of himself and the things that he said he would do, nobody could ever view him as just a good teacher. He was either crazy or he was God. Listen, we understand this, right? What happens when somebody in our society comes along and says, I'm God. I existed before Abraham. I know your thoughts. I'm the only way to God. If you want to go see God, you have to come through me. And I am eternal. I will die and I will be raised in three days. What do we do with that person? We put them in a straitjacket unless they can prove it, right? Unless they can prove it. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling these guys to right here, is to look at the evidence. Verse 35, and I'm sorry, verse 37 and 38. He says, don't believe me. Jesus just told these guys not to believe. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works which I have done. We're going to touch on that more in just a second. But we need to come back to verse 34 through 36 and deal with this kind of funky, little weird-sounding section here. Let's read it, and then we'll look at it again. Jesus replied, and this is kind of a little argument that he's giving them. It is written in your own scripture. So this is in the Word of God. That God said to certain leaders of the people that you are gods, small g. And you know that Scripture cannot be altered. So, if those people, and this is key to us, those people who received God's message were called gods, small g, why do you call it blasphemy when I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Sounds kind of tricky, this section, but actually what he's saying is quite simple. One of the key things to understand here is that God loves humanity. 
and he has revealed himself to humanity. So one of the points that's going to be made here is you shouldn't be surprised because God loves humanity and reveals himself to humanity that God would reveal himself to humanity in this way through Jesus as the Christ. Now, in verse 34, Jesus is quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 82, verse 6. Psalm 82, verse 6 says this, I said, you are God's small g and all of your sons of the Most High. Now, in its context, it's talking about um, judges within Israel through whom the word of God came. So these are people that God spoke to, and then they spoke to the people. We're supposed to speak the word to the people. And so this whole thing is about the revelation of God's word, that God reveals himself to people. And it's talking about the people through whom God spoke the word. Now, this is important. Because God spoke to them and through them with delegated authority. God says, I'm giving you prophets, you Moses, you the word of God to speak to the people. Delegated authority by God. They were speaking as God to the people. Very important to us. We see this in Scripture in a couple places. Exodus 4, verse 16. It says, Because Moses was speaking the word of God to Aaron, it says, You will be as a God to him. Because you're speaking for me, it, you will be as a God to him. Again, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Because Moses was speaking the word of God to Pharaoh, it says this, Then the, le- then the Lord said to Moses, See, I am making you as God to Pharaoh. Everybody thoroughly confused at this point? The key is verse 35. It says, So if those people who received God's word were called gods, small g, the point is this, how much more should Jesus be considered God, verse 36, after all, God sent him into the world and sanctified him and set him apart. And the very next thing he says is, don't believe me unless I do the works. But if I do it, believe the evidence. Now, let me see if I can sum all of that up. In essence, this is what Jesus is saying. You believe that God reveals himself to man. And you believe that he did that through prophets. So you believe God will reveal himself to man and you believe that he can do that through prophets. Then why wouldn't you believe that he can and would and should reveal himself through the Messiah? Why won't you believe that, especially in light of the works that he's doing? That's the whole point behind that whole thing. Kind of complicated little thing to read through, but that's the whole point. He says, do not believe me unless I do the works of the Father. But if I do those works, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works. And Jesus said this multiple times. He said it also in John chapter 14, 10. He says, do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? If you do not believe these things, um, then he goes on to say, otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, this is important to us. Notice what Jesus is saying. 
He never required these guys to believe by blind faith. He never did. And he never called them to just put put their faith in him without giving them evidence for who he is. But he calls them to look at the evidence and, and to believe based on the evidence. Likewise, Jesus never called you or never called me to believe by blind faith. Now, faith is required, but he never called us to believe in a vacuum, as it were, by blind faith. He's given us ample evidence for who he is and that the word of God is truly words from God. But here's the problem. The problem is most people won't take the time to look at the evidence. Another problem is oftentimes guys have already made up their minds about Jesus before they're willing to look at the evidence, like our guys in the story. They were already... They'd already decided they were going to stone him if he said he was God. They'd already made up their minds. A lot of people do that. But here's another problem. And this one falls at the door of the church. Oftentimes, as the church, we don't know the evidence well enough to share it with somebody that needs to hear it. So, here's what we're going to do for the next couple weeks. We're going to take time and go through a bunch of these evidences. I thought it would be kind of mean to say, hey, you're supposed to believe in Jesus based on evidence and then not give you any. And we don't have enough time to go through that many today. So we're going to go through some of these evidences, stuff like the proof from miracles, archaeological evidence, manuscript evidence, prophetic evidence, Evidence from the, from the resurrection, and depending on time, I'm going to only spend a couple of weeks on this, depending on time, we may do a few more. There's a lot here. Now, this will not be exhaustive, meaning that it's not going to cover every single evidence. We could spend a year on that, but here's my hope by giving you at least some of it, is to give you a basic understanding of the evidence that it does exist, and to hopefully stir in you a hunger to study it for yourself and to learn these things. If you get the e-bulletin, I recommended some books this past week. If you don't get the e-bulletin, you need to get it. You can sign up for it on that back table. But I recommended some books. I brought them with me here. You're welcome to come and look at these. These are great books that I recommend that will help you understand these evidences for the fact that Jesus is who Scripture says He is, that He is who He claimed to be. And we want to, and I want to encourage you guys to study these things, to know these things, because they can only do good for you. To know the truth of who Jesus is will bolster your faith. I've taught apologetics classes and and had people just come up afterwards that I never knew all of these evidences even existed and now my faith is so much stronger but not only to bolster your faith it'll also give you the equipping and the confidence to defend your faith and also to share your faith so for the next couple weeks we're going to talk about evidences here but i want to finish on this point and we're almost done right here 
I want to finish on this because we see this spiritual condition in the people of our story today. So I want to ask this question, and maybe you've come this morning, it happens both inside and outside of the church. I want to ask this question and see if this is where you're at. This is where the guys in our story were at. Have you designed your God around you? Have you made your God the way that you want Him to be, the way that you think He should be, Are you like the guys in the story? Are you willing to listen just to what you want to hear from him? You see, when that happens, you make yourself out to be God. You make yourself out to be the Lord of your life and not Jesus. You're picking and choosing. These guys were picking and choosing. They were determining who God was allowed to be. That's not a biblical place. That's not a place that we can go. And it's not a place that Jesus allows for. Or are you willing to listen to the voice of Jesus? And this is an important point here. Jesus gives the proof of those who listen to him. What does he say? Those who follow him. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm willing to listen to Jesus. But Jesus says, my sheep not only listen to my voice, but they follow me. Are you following Jesus at his word? That's the place that we have to be as a church. Otherwise, what happens? We're just playing church, aren't we? If we're not willing to follow him, we're picking and choosing and we're determining who God is and and what he's allowed to say and do and that's not right. Are we going to really follow him? Listen to his voice and follow him. That's what we have to do if we're going to be the church that Jesus intended his church to be, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that You never called us to just a blind faith. That we don't have to do some weird thing like just believe because you said so. Lord, you gave us evidence knowing that that would be something that we would need. Lord, we recognize that you're a good God who wants to reveal yourself to people. And so I pray, Lord, for this morning, anyone who's here that has fashioned God into their own image, that you would reveal yourself to them now. That you are truth. That your word is to be followed as truth. That we don't get to make it up. That we don't get to decide right, wrong, and acceptable based on how we feel. But you're a good God that loves us and has shown us truth. And I pray, Lord, over the next couple of weeks, as we begin to look at these evidences, that you would draw people here that need to hear them, that we would be proactive, inviting friends that need to hear them, 
that they would know Jesus, that you're far more than a religious leader or a good teacher. You are God in the flesh, come to save souls and gave ample evidence that that's who you are. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts this morning and over the next couple of weeks. What we long for is truth. What we long for, Jesus, is you. As we worship you now, Lord, be enthroned upon our praises. Lord, I pray this morning you would even set us free to worship. We would surrender. We would repent. We would come before you knowing that you are the King of kings and you will forgive all sin. And then you would set us free this morning to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.